Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here, and today, the H1B Guy Live, June 16th, 2022. Today, I'm going to cover the H1B lottery application deadline is rapidly approaching. Visa appointments remain scarce, as well as taking your questions and comments. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, to please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention that H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment-based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? If your OPT visa may be about to expire and you weren't selected in the most recent H-1B lottery, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. Join the squad. Well, as the temperatures continue to rise across the U.S., uh, here in Atlanta, we are currently over 95 degrees. I'm um, expecting triple-digit uh, temperatures uh, over the next week. Um, the, the continuation of inflation, the percentages surrounding it, and we look at you know the Fed hiking up uh, interest rates by uh, 0.75 points. And of course, for those of us who, who keep up with our portfolio, the market over the last several days has uh, been things that will bring you to tears. But as we start to look at What's going on uh, specifically today being June 16th, uh, knowing that um, June 30th, exactly two weeks from today, uh, is the H-1B lottery application deadline. And I think the interesting thing about what's been going on here uh, with the, the consistent layoffs, the consistent updates on, on, on hiring being cut back, offers being rescinded, such as uh, the case of, of Coinbase. Um, we start to look at what does that mean for that 127,000 plus registrations that were selected uh, back in the very end of March? Um, what does that mean for applications uh, over the last uh 76 days um it, it's a really interesting time and, and we have to wonder if there are registrations that were selected and applications that may not have been filed that that may not be and you know we've talked about this a lot in the past but when when uscis stated that you know four hundred eighty-three thousand applications and one hundred twenty-seven thousand plus that were selected uh, you know this is 
USCIS going on record publicly stating that they expected a 66% application rate. And for many of you who have followed this platform for the better part of, of the last two years, um, you know that, that we've talked about these application percentages. And, and last year alone, first round, that first round had a 70% application rate, which subsequently led to a second selection which had a 40% application rate, which subsequently led to a third selection. And that was unprecedented. But what we do know is that in the last two years, two previous uh, electronic selection periods that existed, uh, there've been five random selections that have had to have been held by USCIS. So USCIS, in order to attempt to circumvent a second, a need for a second selection, um, this year selected a historically high number, 127,000 127, plus names, right, um, for 85,000 spots. And I think it's, it's really interesting when we sit now here two weeks away um, and things are, are, are aggressively changing here in, in the landscape of talent acquisition, um, not only for temporary foreign workers, H-1B employees, but, but also for American workers, right? Um, you know, if you, you scroll through your, your LinkedIn feed, there's, there's a couple of, of things that showed up today um, that I thought were really interesting. And, and I'm going to loop this back to the, the H-1B application deadline that's, that's rapidly approaching two weeks away and, and why these things are, are important. Uh, the first thing is, is this idea of, of salary ranges. And uh, the, the article on, on LinkedIn goes on to say that um, most big companies, including Microsoft, publicly sharing salary ranges for open roles, a move that's likely to influence smaller firms downstream. The trend is worker positive, uh, according to Axios, because it not only saves job hunters the trouble of applying for posts that pay outside of their desired range, it gives leverage to marginalized groups in seeking equal pay. Uh, LinkedIn data shows that as of April, the number of openings on its site that included salary ranges rose 44% from the year earlier, year over year. That's, that's astounding. In recruitment, I've always hated the salary range, just have. And I know that we all have them, but it really comes back to what is the number that you're willing to accept, right? This most likely to accept number. Um, but we're now seeing a trend to kind of broaden the candidate pool is to provide ranges um, so that individuals aren't applying that may be above the range or below the range that, that they fit within the range. Um, the other thing that I found really, really interesting um, that was also part of the LinkedIn feed today in, in terms of, of news um, and that's this concept of workers losing pandemic superpowers. And it, it goes on to say that the days of employees exerting their influence over employers and dictating when and where they work may be grinding to a halt. Economic uh, uncertainty and mounting anxiety around a potential recession are prompting hiring freezes and slowdowns. 
Uh, company chiefs appear to be growing impatient with remote work. A cluster of prominent CEOs, such as Elon Musk, are growing more emboldened and demanding a return to offices. And then the key point made here is that uh, data from a swipe card tracking company, Castle Systems, shows office occupancy at a pandemic high of 44% last week. And companies appear less fearful that workers will desert them if they force them back to their desk jobs. So again, all, all of this kind of circling back, what does all of this mean? Well, uh, quite honestly, in, in my experience in recruiting, H-1B workers are much more willing to go on site. Um, a lot of individuals say because they don't have a choice, but I also think it's because of their willingness um, to, to do what it takes. Uh, I think that over the last... 16 months, if we go back to, to January, February of 2021, um, kind of the beginning wave of the vaccinations here in, in the U.S. and a lot of this return to office speculation that happened, uh, hiring rapidly increased. That hiring rapidly increased due to the amount of cuts that occurred. If you go back to March 2020, April 2020, May 2020, June, July 2020, uh, and we saw fairly low H-1B application rates for new initial H-1B employment. And so I circle all of this back to say that right now we're seeing the employer starting to get some more control back in the negotiation of compensation. You're also seeing them add salary ranges as, as part of listings, which is year over year up 44%. So what does that say for the expectation of application rates coming up for the H-1B lottery as that application as this deadline approaches on, on June 30th. Um, and I think, think we're going to see less than a 60% application rate. Um, and if you just look at, at the sheer numbers of, of what that means, um, you know, if, if, if we're somewhere around 58%, application rate, then you're going to have about uh, 10, uh, excuse me, 14 to 15,000 H-1B visas still available for fiscal year 2023. So really interesting how the amount of layoffs that have occurred, a lot of the cutbacks that are occurring, and what that means is it impacts these registration selections for the H-1B lottery. Um, very clearly, as I've stated, you know, USCIS has said 66% is what they expect to be the application rate. So what I'm talking about is merely an 8% uh, deduction from, from that. If we're talking somewhere around 58% application rate on that 127,000 plus, um, there's going to be uh, around 14 to 15,000 um, H-1B visas that, that would be still eligible and available for fiscal year 2023. So, of course, as we've talked about numerous times, and I get asked literally daily by many of you, and thank you for reaching out and asking me this question, um, and that is, do I still think that there's going to be a second lottery for fiscal year 2023? And, and that answer is yes. Um, I've been on the record now for several months stating that, and 
I just I believe that we're going to see a second selection. I believe that will be held sometime in the the end of July uh, or the beginning of of August. Um, I've talked about the dates a, a good bit at at length in terms of um, you know when I expect those to to be available, um, and and that is you know I I anticipate July. July 24th, possibly, excuse me, July 22nd, July 22nd through potentially August 5th. Um, so again, July 22nd through August 5th is, is what I'm looking at uh, in terms of when I expect that second lottery to, to, to occur. Um, and, and I think that goes back to the application rates that we're going to see. So what do you guys think? Uh, do you agree with me? Do you think there's going to be a second lottery? Um, do you foresee an application rate around this expected 66%? Do you think it'll be higher or lower? Uh, drop me a comment. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely interested to see what, what you think about this. Do you do you foresee a second lottery being held potentially towards the end of, of July, maybe the beginning of August? Um, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and, and what you think those those thoughts are. Um, with that being said, I'd like to ask you, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to the H1B Guide channel here on YouTube. Please like this video uh, if you want to see and enjoy more content like this. Uh, of course, you can click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on June 16th at a little after 3 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you're looking for ways that you can support the H1B Guy platform, of course, you can do so currently through the Super Chat function in the live stream or the Super Thanks if you're watching this at a later time. For those of you that may be listening to this on the H1B podcast, I want to thank you for your continued support on that platform as well. Uh, so another thing that I wanted to talk about today is... Um, and I've been getting a lot of questions around my thoughts on travel and a lot of questions around my thoughts on um, visa appointment availability. And, and I've covered this a few times here over the last couple of months. Um, and, and that is I, um, you know, I, I think that, that the most interesting thing here is that the Department of State uh, travel.gov continues to use the pandemic as a reason for these delays or, or lack of availability in visa appointments. Um, I've been talking about this going all the way back to the summer of 2020. Excuse me, where, you know, I, I, if you had an H-1B that was approved, there was unfortunately no appointments to be had. You couldn't get into the country, even if you were um, under the, the, the exception. And so, you know, this has continued to be a, a problem. And I've heard a lot of horror stories around this. Dropbox horror stories, um, lack of availability across all consulates, not, not just even India, but, but many of the international consulates and, and the lack of appointments. Um, many of you have made me aware of a variety of groups that are out there that are actively tracking visa appointments and providing up-to-date and, and current information around it. Um, you know, I continue to provide 
this very simple advice and that is unless there is absolutely a necessity for you to travel internationally and you would require an appointment a new stamp right to enter back into the country i would not travel unless i had a guaranteed appointment that was within two weeks of my travel date meaning if i'm two weeks out of my travel date and I have an appointment that's during my period of time that I'm going to be outside of the country, then I would feel comfortable in, in traveling it at that point. But if my dates are at a future date or I don't have a date and I'm trying to stretch maybe some of my, my current I-94 time, uh, I, I would advise against travel. That's, that's just something that, that I've been saying for, for a few years now. Um, of course, <laughs> there's always a risk. Even if we look at pre-pandemic, there was a risk of traveling. There's certain consulates that um, were less friendly than others, specifically the, the U.S. consulate in Chennai, um, known to historically issue out more uh, RFEs than, than most of the other consulates. So uh, again, we look at this lack of a visa appointment availability and the restrictive nature that it's creating, not only for folks that are currently living and, and working here in the U.S., uh, but for those new H-1Bs that are being approved as we speak. And once those approvals come in, you know, those, those visas are valid starting October 1st. Can those individuals find an appointment between now and, and before October 1st? And, and most likely that answer is no. So what does that mean for new H-1B visas that are being approved as we speak? And, and when would they most likely be able to enter? And I think you're looking at very, at the earliest, the very end of 2022 and even into the beginning of, of 2023. And if we think about what that means, if, if the H-1B visa is approved for three years, starting October 1st, 2022, um, stamping is provided but the individual doesn't enter into the u.s until maybe december or january you know there are is time that would be eligible um for kind of quote unquote recapture right um visa is not valid in, until you are active in the u.s meaning present in the u.s okay um another question that i get quite frequently and, and it relates to visa appointments um, and it specifically is around new or existing H-1Bs. And that's this question. Um, I had an employer who was selected for the H-1B lottery. I was selected for the H-1B lottery. Um, they filed my H-1B and it was approved. But then when I went for my visa appointment, um, I was issued a 221G, which was never um adjudicated so can i transfer that previous h1b visa to another employer and that that answer is no um, unfortunately unless you're physically in the u.s working under h1b visa um, that visa is not eligible for for transfer unless it's it's been activated but i go back to this visa appointment shortage it's something that's been an issue now ongoing for the better part of two years and we start to have to ask ourselves, like, well, what's going to change? What are some things that 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 could change here? And it, it comes down to resource capabilities, 
But really, it comes down to renewals being allowed, appointments, stamping appointments being allowed to occur in the U.S. Uh, and, and I think that that's something that really is common sense, right? Like someone who's already physically present in the U.S. Um, has a valid visa. Why is there not a, an option for them to um, attend a, a, a U.S. consulate and, and be able to get their, their visa stamped here. Um, that's something that I would like to see see changed because it creates a lot of anxiety and uncertainty for high-skilled immigrants, right? Here I am advising them not to leave the country, not risk traveling unless, unless it's absolutely necessary. It almost feels like that's like hostage type situation, right? Like, why is that the case? And, and I think for me, when I look at like co some common sense reform, um, can we not just do the visa stampings here in the U.S.? Um, would we still be experiencing a lack of visa appointment availability for those individuals that already may be in the U.S. that are looking to enter? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that to me would, would make a lot of sense, but wanted to, uh, to see if any of you have had any issues with your traveling, if you've had issues getting visa appointments, um, what that struggle may look like for you. Um, of course, I, I know that, uh, that's an ongoing issue and, and honestly, an, an ongoing, um, problem and, and quite honestly, uh, it, it's always kind of been that way, right? The the visa appointments created a lot of anxiety, that stamping process. Um, it's been something that, that as I've been working with H-1B visas now for uh, the better part of 15 years, um, it's been a constant. It's absolutely been a constant. Um, so, Wanted to just ask you again, you know, if you haven't already, please like this video. Make sure you're subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications. Uh, I would love to get into some questions and comments. Uh, for those of you that maybe have questions or comments, let's go ahead and get those in the chat. Um, I will be rolling through those here in the next few minutes. Um, another thing that, that I thought was interesting um there was an article that was put out last week uh that talked about because of how quickly the visa bulletin has been ad advancing specifically in um specifically in in eb2 um how it's creating issues for h1b extensions and generally, it, it comes down to uh, what is, what's the amount that's allowed for an H-1B extension for individuals who um, have an adjustment of status that, that's been filed and, and potentially pending. Um, you know, generally speaking, what, once you have an approved I-140, you know, you can extend your H-1B visa by by three years, three year increments um, and until your your priority date comes current. But the interesting thing is, is, is if the priority date is is current, um, 
you know, what, what does that mean if, if there is, you know, a, a possibility of, of extending the H-1B visa? And from all of the research that, that I've looked into, it, it, it looks like there is an exception to um, like a one-year filing. Um, and just kind of, of reading through it here, it, it, it's really interesting when you look at what the employee can do versus, you know, the, the employer's rights, but how long has the priority date been current? Um, and, and I've always advised here on, on this platform many times, which is to maintain your H1B status for as long as possible um, until you absolutely have to go under that EAD advanced parole um, because that, that presents its own, you know, different set of, of unique circumstances. Uh, but, interesting to see this coming up right like now that we're seeing some pretty significant movement uh in in the eb2 final action date category it's creating some some issues uh, as it relates to dates being current for those individuals who are extending h1b visas on unapproved previously approved by 140. Um, very complicated and and a lot of moving parts here as as we look to to what that means um I know a lot of you out there who, you know, have filed your H-1B extension, gotten the approval of, of up to three years and then seen your priority date come current. That's perfect case scenario. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I think the biggest thing here um, is, is there, there's a there's a one year sort of period um that's that's granted and uh it's, it's definitely something to uh to to keep in mind um so for those of you out there that are currently uh, watching live i really appreciate you taking the time to jump in here this afternoon um you know as earlier mentioned i've, I've covered we're exactly 14 days away uh, from the h1b application deadline that's that's rapidly approaching um, hard to believe that uh, that that April 1st was 76, 76 days ago, um, and that was the beginning of, of the, the application period. We're also at a point now where, um, you know, the, the the daily amount of organizations and announcing staff reductions or layoffs, uh, companies rescinding offers um, seems to be a daily occurrence. Uh, we look at um, a lot of what's happening in our financial sector here in in the U.S. and and there's a lot of of signs that are pointing to a lot of different uh, sort of mixed signals. Uh, however, unemployment and tech continues to remain extremely low. Uh, demand for engineers continues to remain extremely high. Um, IT wages are at an all time high. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, some of the, the content out there on LinkedIn, you're, you're now seeing wage ranges being shared up 44% year over year. But I think the biggest thing is, is that you're seeing employers start to regain some power um, in kind of this post-pandemic emergence. Um, and a lot of that will, will trickle down to, to, to lack of control on the employee side. Many are promoting the, the return to office, return to work, or some sort of hybridized version of, of that. Um, so really interesting to see, um, you know, that, that that's going on and, and how that's going to impact H-1B lottery applications. 
Um, you know, as I said, again, if, if there's only a 58% application rate, um, then there's the possibility of there being anywhere between 14 to 15,000 H-1B visas that would still be available for fiscal year 2023, which still leads me to believe that there would be a second lottery that would be held. So, um, all right, well, let's jump into these questions. I've got one question right now. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and answer that and let those of you who have other questions out there, let's let's pop those in the chat um, and uh, and I'll do my best to uh, to provide an opinion on on what I think about it. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Thanks for taking time uh, to join my live stream. Uh, he says, hi there. Thanks for what you do. This is very informative. My PD is January 5th, 2015. Do I see EB2 final action dates moving in August or September to meet those dates? What are your thoughts? Great question. Um, so if we go back to my predictions for June, and I did a live stream as well where I talked about, I, I thought we would still see dates of filing move um, 30 to 90 days. And I predicted for June of February, 2015. But then when the dates of filing didn't move and final action moved by an entire year, it led me to believe that that would be all of the movement that we would see uh, for, for dates of filing and that final action will move incrementally um, you know, by, by a month. But instead what happened is, is dates of filing moved by a month and final action dates moved three months. So now that leads me to believe that they've got it right about where they want it, which I think, I think we could see a month forward on dates of filing roughly. I, I think that that's a possibility. Um, and then I think that subsequently final action dates would follow that. So, you know, for you, what does that mean? Well, I think you're looking for a little bit more than that. And kind of to your point, um, I feel like your final action dates will most likely be current in September for September's bulletin. Um, so that, that should be posted sometime in, in early, mid August. Uh, but again, this appears to be very fluid. Um, it, it appears that the, the, the service centers are processing um, thousands of cases now um, over, over the, the, the month. And so it, it leads me to believe that, that there's a possibility you could see August for January 1st. Now, I don't think it'll get to your January 5th. So that's where it comes back to. I think if we get to September 2015 or March 2015, by the end of the fiscal year, by September's bulletin, um, then final action dates would, would be February 2015. Now, the question is, do we think that, um, do, do we think that they'll equal? That's my question, right? Do, do we think that they may move dates of filing to February 2015 and then have final action dates reach February 2015 um, by that September bulletin. And it's going to be really interesting to see this. these numbers continue to fluctuate. My calculations that I do based on the I-140 approvals, based on the number that's being processed, it, it just continues to fluctuate so rapidly. Um, and it's making it very difficult to predict. And, and that's why I always say these are just guesses. And it's my opinions. Folks love when I'm wrong. Well, I, I, 
listen, I challenge anyone to post um, in the comments what their thoughts are. Get, give me your predictions and, and let's see if they're right, right? It, this, is, this is something I do for fun. Um, I do it for fun because I enjoy it. I'm, I'm thoroughly interested in it. I'm intrigued by it. And it's, it's a piece um, of our talent acquisition pipeline. When I look at it from my staffing professional hat, um, that only expands our talent pool. And so I've been tracking this visa bulletin now, uh, going all the way back to 2011, 2012, um, and familiar with it well before that, right? As I said, I've been working with H-1B visas for, for over 15 years. Uh, but great question. Keep my fingers crossed for you here, uh, JCP. And, um, you know, you're right there. We'll see what happens over the next couple of months. It's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to to watch. Hey, CA, how are you doing? Do I think dates of filing will reach December two thousand fifteen by December twenty twenty two? I actually got asked a question on my um, on one of the, the 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 videos in the comments on YouTube that I saw that asked me about. I think it was February 2015, and I said I expected that to be anywhere between December and March. So the caveat here for you, CA, is if corrective action occurs in October or November. And there's been a pretty consistent rumor of corrective action, uh, but I also feel like these dates have advanced, and I, I don't know if there is that retrogression, if it does occur, when it will occur and how much it will be. Um, I don't feel like it's going to happen, though. Like right now, I'm not I just I don't have that sense. Um, I think a lot of you feel otherwise. Uh, but but right now, for me, I, I just don't I don't have that sense. But I think. For you, um that's the end of the year and and i i just i feel like you're probably going to be um later in 2022 unless there's another like year jump for dates of filing or there's like a six month advancement that occurs early in in the fiscal year um i i, I would i'm more inclined to say probably like between may and july of next year i might be wrong that might be too far out uh but that's just kind of what my gut tells me right now um and, and and looking at it but again dates of filing that that could be more likely it could be like march or somewhere between march and and may um of, of next year but i think you're in 2023 if i'm i'm being honest with you Hey, David, how are you? Are there any delays in processing petitions for 2023? What do you think timelines would be for Vermont? Um, I haven't seen any of the Vermont data in the last like month or two. I haven't looked. I looked at some data surrounding Nebraska, which was pretty gross and atrocious. Um, my experience with Vermont is that Vermont was, was always... Um, uh, pretty consistent in, in their 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 numbers, their approvals. Um, 
So, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'll have to go back and look, but, but I don't, these delays have continued, right? They're still out there. They're across all of the different status types, but uh, it, it, to me, it's not as significant as what it probably was five, six months ago. Um, and, and I'm assuming you're referring to H1Bs. I don't, I don't know if you're, you're referring to a, a, a different type of delay here. Um, but my experience with Vermont, they, they've been fairly consistent. I would have to go back and look at the data. I, I, like I said, I haven't looked at it um, over the last couple of months, but I go back to my personal experience with Vermont many years ago and, and filing many of our cases there. They were really consistent with, with their turnarounds. And last thing about Vermont before I jump to this question, they were one of the largest employers in Vermont, USCIS is, and uh, we've had multiple senators, Senator Leahy and Senator Sanders go on record and talk about the need for uh, USCIS bailouts uh, way back when the rumors were, were circulating in 2020 um, about USCIS being on the, the verge of bankruptcy. Do I think there'll be spillover as well if the USCIS numbers that were mentioned during the call said they only had 13,500 EB3 to EB2 interfiles? Wouldn't that create more numbers to be available? Um, I'm assuming you're talking about available in EB3. So that possibly could mean some sort of movement uh, could be forthcoming in, in EB3 since they now seem to have a good grasp on the numbers available for interfile. Um I haven't heard any updates on spillover. Of course, there's been a lot of different legislation out there that's looking to recapture um, the numbers that have been wasted over the last few years. Uh, but they tend to put that out over the next couple of months. So we should see something, I would think, in August or September. Uh, but they definitely, by like mid-August or November, will put out what the total number would be like in that... Uh, probably in the November visa bulletin, you would see a, a, a specific number data point provided about what would be available for fiscal year 2023. Um, but good question. Thank you. Any insider updates from USCIS AILA conference? Well, so I get what you're you're doing here. Um, but yeah, for those of you who aren't aware, AILA held their national conference uh, is ongoing this week in New York City. Um, it went back to in-person for the first time since the pre-pandemic. Um, I haven't heard much yet, but uh, of course I have, um, you know, many uh, colleagues, acquaintances, individuals that I know that were in attendance, um, individuals that I know that were sponsoring booths there. Um, so I'm sure that, that there will be some updates that will, will come from it. Um, I haven't been following very closely as, uh, you know, I've stated, I've, I've been extremely busy over the last several months. You may notice some inconsistency in my live streams and some of the content posts, uh, but I've been doing my best to try to find time like I have here today, um, to, to take these questions and comments. Cause this is one of the things that, that I really enjoy doing most. Um, and I love making myself available to provide, you know, my opinion, right? Uh, it, it is what it is. You can take it or you can leave it. And um, uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have a lot of updates, but I will tell you, you know, there there is a lot of um, uh, a lot out there on on Ayla as a whole and, and kind of what they stand for. Listen, I've, I've covered some of their stuff before. 
Um, you know, I, I feel like I always refer back to um, everything I talk about here is just based on my personal experience and being in the staffing industry and working directly with um, high skilled immigrants on temporary work visas um, over the last <laughs> uh, 15 years. But uh, an immigration attorney is a vital part of the success not only for the petitioner, the employer, but also for the beneficiary. And I always say, and, and this is a repeat, um, you've got to have a good immigration attorney that you know and that you trust and that you feel like even if their fees are very expensive, they are providing you with legal representation um, that you are confident in. Okay. And that's the thing that, that I'll stress here is that uh, if you need an attorney, I know several, I can absolutely recommend one um, for you. But also realize that, that this is, it's, it's for profit, right? Um, USCIS is fee-based for profit, right? So um, there is a mutual relationship between those two that occurs because it's all about the money. It, it, it is. Um, and and it, no matter how you want to spin it, there are millions of dollars, billions of dollars at stake um, for ALA members, for USCIS, for employers, but also for high skilled immigrants. There just are. Uh, talked about the average wage of the H-1B worker being over $100,000. Um, that's far from cheap labor, in my opinion. The average H-1B visa worker makes more than 100000 So, you know, you can choose to believe what you want, but I'll tell you, demand is still extremely high. Tech unemployment is less than 2%. Regardless of the layoffs that we're hearing about, the cutbacks, the pulled offers, there is still opportunity and in de in, in demand for high-tech skilled workers, U.S. American workers and temporary foreign workers alike. The demand still exists. I see it on a daily basis. Uh, what's my prediction for August? I will probably do a second anniversary H-1B uh, lottery application deadline, August visa bulletin look ahead, um, probably on the 29th. Um, I've got to get my thoughts together a little bit more for it, but but I think there's going to be some movement, forward movement in EB2 for sure. I think we'll see it in India and China both. Do I have any insights on the total number of I-140 approvals for fiscal year 2015? I sure do. If you give me a second, I will find it. Let me grab it, and this will be the last uh, last question I take. Okay, so for China, because I always like to cover both, for China, an EB2 fiscal year 2015, there were 5,095 approved. So EB2 for China 2015, 5,095 approved. For India, EB2 2015, 
there were 32,702 approved. And if you look at 2014, it was 25,634. The following year in 2016, which is the highest years we've been tracking at year to date, 49,054 in EB2. But to answer your question, 32,072 for fiscal year 2015 for the number of I-140 approvals in EB2. All right, everyone, I just want to say thank you again uh, for those of you who have posted questions or comments here in the live chat. Thanks for joining me on this Thursday afternoon. I really appreciate it. Um, I just wanted to remind everyone that today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. Uh, if you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. Make sure you have a plan B and Synthesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you're interested in finding out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Synthesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. And also by perm-ads.com, the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with perm labor certification recruitment advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. And also by Mob Squad. If you're a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges, uh, maybe your OPT visa is about to expire, you weren't selected in the most recent H-1B lottery, uh, our partner Mob Squad has a solution. They work with technology professionals that are facing work uncertainty here in the U.S., remain working with their current U.S. company near shore from Canada, and also technology professionals from around the world who are seeking an opportunity to find a rewarding career in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse in as little as six to eight weeks. Whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. company or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Just wanted to ask you again one last time to please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch my live stream. Really appreciate all of your questions and comments here today. And of course, would love to hear more from you. Feel free to drop comments in the video below. I'm Robert. I'm the H-1B Guy, your global source for all things H-1B.